Well, good morning, everyone. And a great morning to see and hear what God is doing through the lives of folks here at Melanie Park, and uh, so grateful um, for those examples. As we finish up our series this morning on the biblical definition of marriage and family, my hope is that we will continue to see that connection between who God is and what He's created. I've called it the imprint of the divine, but it's actually seen all throughout Scripture as a core biblical truth. And let me give you one of those examples. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul, writing to the Colossians, wants them to understand this point that we've tried to impress as we've gone through our series together. He says in verse 16, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The imprint of the divine has been revealed in the design and order of all creation. And none more clearly than in humanity. That very special part of God's creation, created uniquely in the image of God, in order to bear witness to the very nature and character of God. And as we've walked through together, you and I were created for relationships ordained by God and patterned after His very own being. As we talked about, we see that one flesh relationship of marriage reflecting the very one nature character of God. An exclusive and undivided love between one man and one woman for a lifetime. A love that reflects the very own self-sacrificing, life-giving love of God. It's a relationship of equity where the wife can submit to the spiritual leadership of her husband without in any way demeaning the value and dignity of who she is as a person. Just as we see Jesus submitting to the will of His Father and in no way diminishing His deity as God. Husbands, like we see in the Father's love for the Son, can honor their wives, protect and care for them, exalting them above any other love in their life. The very nature and character of God is built into the design of the marriage relationship. Created and held together by God. And from that marriage relationship, also ordained by God, is the blessing of family where the Father learns what it means to be a dad by looking at the example of our Heavenly Father. In other words, I learn what it looks like to be a dad as I understand how to relate to God as my Heavenly Father and I am His adopted child. We see the same thing in moms who can look at that loving sacrifice of Christ and see that grace and forgiveness that is offered by Him and know that that is the the pattern of love that they are called to have as they care for and nurture their own children. And speaking of children, they too learn from the example of what they see in Christ, who spent His lifetime honoring His Father, living in loving obedience. It's the example that that children are called to follow. The family, like the marriage, was created by God 
and made in His image with the very goodness and nature of God built into His design. Which, as Louisa Wise mentioned to me last week after the service, she said, that would make sense as to why the institutions that God has created are so much of an attack target for our enemy. Because if you think about it, it would accomplish his goal of both destroying lives by leading people away from the design with which they were created to live within. But it would also defile the name and nature of God that is built in to those designs. And if you think about it, is there any two things more important to our enemy than destroying people's lives and God's name? That's why when I began this series, I told you that I believe that we are living in the midst of a spiritual crisis. And I want you to know that I believe that today more than I ever have. Just this week, I've seen the influence of our enemy in things as benign as car commercials. <laughs> Just take a look at what you see playing over and over during the Olympics. Chevrolet, the new us. Watch closely and see what they describe. It's in Coca-Cola ads. It's made the front page news of ESPN. It's been applauded by our president just this week. I personally have been involved with conversations in those who have pursued everything this world offers them and promises to make them happy and fulfilled, and yet they could not be more empty and broken. I've seen firsthand how the sweet taste of sin becomes a bitter poison that slowly destroys a person's life. Our enemy has a stronghold. When he convinces us that it's not that big of a deal to live outside of God's design. When God's Word becomes irrelevant or outdated and is just put aside altogether. Instead, our enemy has convinced our culture, listen to this, it has convinced our culture that the most loving thing that we can do for each other is allow each other to live according to their own desires. And you and I need to understand that that is a lie. It is a lie from the very pit of hell. And let me tell you why I know that's true. Because the very greatest act that this world has ever known Expressing the love of God is the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross in order to rescue us from our own desires. The Scripture makes it very clear. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, living according to the ways of the world, fulfilling our fleshly desires. That's not freedom. Satan is promising you freedom. He's inviting you to live in freedom. But he is deceiving you by enslaving you in the self-destruction of sin. Now, some may argue, well, how do we know what sin really is? I mean, why is it wrong to lie? Or why is it wrong to commit adultery? Who says homosexuality or, or pornography or immorality is wrong when our culture reassures us that it's just natural and normal? It's part of what we do. As a Christian, we may look at those things and say, well, because the Bible says that it's wrong. And I believe that that is a true statement. But I want you to know that there's something that goes 
even deeper. It's in the Bible. It's wrong in God's eyes because it goes against His design. Sin is destructive. And no one knows that better than the one who created us in the first place. One author described it this way. He says, do not commit adultery as God's version of don't brush your teeth with a toaster or don't drive a car across the ocean because you're trying to do something that's outside of its original design. And if that's what you pursue, it will ultimately destroy you. See, the good news of life in Jesus Christ is the invitation to turn from our selfish desires and to live for something bigger, something that's better than living for yourself. You and I were created in the image of God and designed to be in fellowship with God and to walk in loving relationships with one another. And sin separates us from that which we were created to experience. See, God does not want us to fall in line with a list of rules. That's not His design. He wants us to fall in love with the Savior who created us and made us to know Him, to enjoy Him, to trust Him, believing that His design ultimately is what's best for us. It's a life that's made possible only when His forgiveness sets us free from sin and death and introduces us to a new family, a new relationship, a new power that has worked within us as the Spirit redeems what sin seeks to destroy. That's the heart of it. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit more this morning. So let's pray together before we open up the Word. God, uh, We need your help this morning because our eyes are often blinded by what we are inundated by every day in the messages of the world that surround us. We're told what's natural and normal, what's okay, what's good, what's right. But Father, often those things are lies, they're deception that are intended to lead us us away from that which gives us life and hope. And so this morning, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your perspective, to understand your design, to have within us a desire to live and to trust you in fulfilling what you intended when you created us. Help us to, to see that very clearly this morning when we look at your word together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want us to start, as we have in previous weeks, of looking at how God's image is is reflected in what God has created. And specifically, this morning, we're going to look at the church, what the Bible calls the household of faith. To begin with, we need to understand and kind of go back to what we've established, and that is the, the perfect fellowship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so that when God created Adam and Eve. We know that He created them to share in that life-giving fellowship that exists in God Himself. So part of being created in the image of God included the capacity to be in a relationship with God. That's part of His design. Also within that design is to be in relationships with one another. 
because, as God said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's because God designed mankind to live in the context of community. He made us to live within relationships. One of the reasons we know this is true is because what happened immediately after sin entered in the world through that decision made by Adam and Eve. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Adam and Eve have made that decision to eat of the tree that God had told them to avoid, the very one tree in that garden. We've looked at what preceded this, but watch what happens in verse 7 after that decision was made. It says, The eyes of both of them, that's Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What I want you to see and understand that's described in this picture is that sin reverses God's design. Sin brought death by separating us from what we were created to enjoy. We were living in fellowship with God and in unity with one another. They were naked and unashamed. But then sin entered the world. And what do they do? They hide themselves from each other. They hide themselves from God. It reverses the order of God's original design. It brought death by separating us from what we were created to enjoy. Fellowship with God and unity with one another. Adam and Eve hid from God, and they covered their shame from one another. So the penalty of sin is death by separation. And if that's true, I want you to think about this. What is the opposite of death? Life is the logical answer, but I don't believe it's the best answer. I believe the opposite of death is love. Because the separation that brought about, was brought about by sin is remedied in a union that is brought about by love. The opposite of sin's separation that creates death is the union brought about by Christ's love that brings hope and life everlasting. The opposite of death is love. Let me show you what that looks like from a perspective of Scripture. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Here Paul is describing to the Ephesians the effect of the cross. And if you look at the end of verse 12, you'll see that he's kind of summarized the state of mankind apart from God. It says that we were separated, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And then look at what he says beginning in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity 
which is in the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. See, sin destroys our relationship with God. It puts up a barrier, a dividing wall that prevents us from being in fellowship with Him as He originally intended it to be. Like Adam, we have all walked away from the love of God and became objects of God's wrath. That's that word enmity. It's intended to help us understand the judgment that is due to us. It's a strong word to consider the wrath of God that we deserve as sinners. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But let's put it in the context of a courtroom. I want you to think for a second what it would be like for a judge to look at someone who has committed murder. Everybody knows that that's the case, but he decides instead to look the other way and let this person go free. What would we say if that judge simply accepted the murderer's apology and his promise to do better next time? Wouldn't we consider that judge to be corrupt? Well, if that's true in our courtrooms, why would it be any different with our judge, God Himself? See, our sin requires God's judgment, and He can't simply look upon us and choose to look the other way and let us go free or, or in some way accept our apology for doing wrong and our promise to, to do better next time. If you're anything like me, I've made that promise plenty of times and it never stands. There is a penalty that must be paid, which is the very reason why Jesus Christ was crucified. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why verse 13 says that we have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's our faith in Christ that restores our relationship with God. It tears down that barrier of the dividing wall of sin that once separated us from Him but not just our relationship with God. Because remember, sin defiles our relationship with one another as well. Adam and Eve not only hid themselves from God, but they hid themselves from one another. Not only that, they blamed each other for the sin that they were responsible for. When God came to them and they said, why have you done this? Adam said, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. The woman said, it was the serpent's fault. He deceived me. Adam and Eve not only hid themselves from God, they hid themselves from each other and they blamed the other one for their own mistakes. But the cross has the power to restore what sin has corrupted through the redeeming work of forgiveness and grace, both in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. Knowing this redemptive power of the cross God then determined to create something new. From that point forward, something new was going to be happening in the world. Ephesians describes it in our passage as, as one new man. 
where divisions are destroyed. And it says that peace is established. It's a collective body of those who have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And God calls this new creation the church. It's the church. The body of Christ designed by God in order to put His redemptive work of the cross on display. I don't want you to miss this. The church was created to display the manifold wisdom of God's redemptive work accomplished at the cross for all the world to see. The church is designed by God to reveal and proclaim the glorious redemption of God's original design. The restoration of our relationship with Him and the peace and unity of what He intends for us to have with one another, just like He did in the beginning when He created mankind in the first place. That means that who we are as a body of Christ is of utmost importance to God. And since that's true, like we saw in both the marriage and family, we would expect that He would have a specific order and design as to how the church is to function to protect what He has created, and that is in fact the case. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, writing this letter to the Corinthians, who are having trouble figuring out what that identity of who they are as a church is supposed to look like. So Paul wants to give them some real clarity for their own understanding. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. He begins by saying, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Like the other relationships that God has created in His image, the church too was designed to reflect a unity within a diversity. And that unity is in our faith. Our faith specifically in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how that faith is displayed in the evidence of the Trinity. It says, in the same Spirit, verse 4, the same Lord, verse 5, the same God, Verse 6, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everything was created by Him and for Him. And in Him all things hold together. We are unified in our faith in God's redemptive work of forgiveness through the death of Christ on the cross and the work of His Spirit to recreate us into being what we were originally designed to be. Paul then goes on to explain that diversity played out within the unity of the body. Look at verse 7. He says, But to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, the Spirit of God resides in the heart of every single believer in Jesus Christ. And, And although there are a diversity of gifts that we might display and bring forward to the church, Whatever we have to offer, if it's from God, will always benefit the church in the common good. In other words, there is no such thing as a spiritual gift that does not bring a blessing to the body of Christ. It's all intended for the common good. 
of what He has created as a household of faith. Because the church was designed to be the collective display of God's redemptive work by uniting what sin has divided. And every part has some important place in that body to carry out the original intended design. Look at verse 12 as he uses the analogy of a body to describe what God intended. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so is also Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is it for this reason that it is any less of a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each and every one of them, in the body just as He desires. There is a purpose and an order in God's design. He has gifted each person uniquely by the Spirit. He places them specifically in the body just as He desires so that they can collectively display the manifold wisdom of God. Every single person is important and no one stands alone. Now, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and let's look at, at how this design carries out its intended purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, He has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children, tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickiness of men and craftiness of the deceitful scheming. These are the lies of the world. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul begins in verse 11 by describing some very specific roles of leadership within the church. And I believe the order is important, not because of importance or value, but because of precedent. Because the the church was ultimately built on the foundation of the testimony of the prophet's in the apostles. That actually was a part of that verse that we looked at earlier. Flip over to chapter 2 again. Verse 19, close to where we left off last. It says, chapter 2, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There it is. That's the church. Having been built on the foundation, here it is, of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so when Jesus tells Peter, and he looks at him in that confession of faith that Peter made, and he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Remember that? He wasn't speaking about Peter specifically or individually. He was looking at the testimony that Peter proclaimed that was believed and shared by all the disciples. And that was the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. It's upon that testimony that the church was built. That's the foundation. And then that message was to be declared by the evangelists who were sent out into the world to proclaim that truth. It is the message that pastors and teachers are called to teach. It is a truth that equips the church to live according to God's design. Paul is describing very specific people that God has ordained, uniquely gifted, for the benefit of the common good so that we can all grow and mature in our relationship with Christ. Emphasis on all. I've told you many times that I am convinced that there is not a single person in this room who learns more on a given Sunday than the person standing behind this podium. That's a promise. Because I have a lot to learn and there's a lot to grow and we're going to do this together. Because that's the way God designed it to work. Church leaders aren't any more important than anybody else within the body of Christ. Because verse 16 of the passage that we read makes it clear that the whole body is fitted together by what? Some of the joints? No. What every joint supplies. According to the proper working of some of the parts? No. Each and every individual part for the growth of the body as a whole. Everyone contributes. Everyone's part is valuable. It's all important to bless the church for the common good of fulfilling what God created us to do to begin with. Whether you're single or married, divorced, widowed, young, old, we all have a part to play. We've all been adopted into God's family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is the household of God. This is a family. This is what God called us to do. It's His design. That's why we don't want to segregate people into designated demographics within the body. Why? Because ultimately it goes against what God designed. The church is called to be a family where the older are called to mentor the younger. Where the weak are called to walk alongside the strong, the strong to gird up those who are weak. We are instructed to not forsake our gathering to gather as the habit of some, but to encourage each other towards love and good deeds. And even more as that day draws near. And why is that last part in there? Why should it matter that we do it even more as the day draws near? Well, I want you to think about it from the perspective of a family. I want you to think about what families do during times of crisis. 
What do loving families do when there is a need within that family, when there's a difficult situation that they're going through? They come together, don't they? They rally around each other. They encourage each other. They support each other. Wouldn't it be really odd if somebody within a family decides to take a vacation when they have a loved one on the deathbed? Wouldn't it be really strange if somebody's having a particularly difficult time and so they go do something else instead of being next to that person in their time of need? Wouldn't that be odd? Well, in the same way, as the day draws near, the family of God will live increasingly in a context of spiritual crisis. And I believe that time is happening even now. And it's times like these that the body should become closer than it's ever been, not forsaking its own gathering together, but encouraging each other towards love and good deeds even more as the day draws near. Instead of doing our own thing, like we're easily accustomed to doing, and then if we have time, we'll give the church what's left, right? If there's any left after all the other things that we want to do are taken care of. We should be of people like our own, we would want our own families to function. So that what happens within our church body and the relationships that exist here has a high priority in our life. We should not forsake our gathering together. But listen to me, you can't know what the needs are within this family until you make the effort and dedicate the time to invest in the relationships where you understand what those needs look like. It doesn't happen just because you show up here on Sunday morning. It happens because of what you do outside of this time to invest meaningful in relationships with one another. Because here's what I want you to understand about this priority of the church. It's my conviction that there is no greater priority this side of heaven than what happens within the context of the body of Christ. And I want you to hear me out on this one. Is marriage important in the eyes of God? You bet it is. Because it was created in the image of God and intended to reflect His very nature and character built into the design of that relationship. Well, what about family? Should it, should it be a priority? Absolutely. For the very same reasons. And the church should be diligent to uphold God's vision of marriage and family in stark contrast to the self-fulfillment that is seen within our world. Strong marriages and strong families are the backbone of any healthy church. But listen to me and hear this clearly. They are not the end in and of themselves. They're not the end in and of themselves. They exist for an even greater purpose. They were created in God's image in order to reveal God's glory to the uttermost parts of the world. The church is a staging ground to equip and then deploy God's people to carry out that redemptive story of God's grace and forgiveness to the uttermost parts of the world, just like you saw this morning. If that's not what we're doing as a church body, we are not living according to God's design. Let me give you an illustration in this way. 
in the most recent movie, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, you may remember a particular scene when Bilbo in that band of dwarves that he was with were on a mission. They were on a mission because evil was taking over the land and they wanted to do something about it. But in the midst of that mission, they end up getting captured by the elves who were planning to keep them there under the protection of their community. Well, Bilbo and the dwarves got free and they were running as fast as they could to get out of that prison from the, from the elves. And they were being chased by two main characters by the name of Legolas and Toriel. And as they chased these dwarves and Bilbo to the end of the boundaries of their land, Legolas turns to Toriel and he tells her that she cannot go any further, that she must return home. Toriel refuses to hide behind the protection of her borders while evil continued to have victory in the world. She turns to Legolas and this is what she says. Listen closely. She says, we must not hide within our walls and live our lives away from the light while darkness descends. Are we not part of this world? When did we let evil become stronger than us? Church of Jesus Christ, we must not hide behind our walls. When did we let evil become stronger than us? God did not design the church to live within its own walls. We are not called to build strong marriages and strong families simply to live within the protection of those relationships for our own good. There is a darkness that has descended upon our world. And the victories are ever increasing. But you need to understand the evil of Satan will never be stronger than the power of God. And that power resides in the heart of every single believer in Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. You were created for something bigger than yourself. You've been called to display the glory of God and His redemptive love to the uttermost parts of the world. Do you remember what Jesus said? in that Sermon of the Mount, when he said, you're the light of the world. Remember that? And he went on to describe, you're the light of the world. And, and so you, you shouldn't be, a city on a hill is supposed to give light. And you don't take a candle and put a bowl over it. You set it on a lampstand so that it lights up the entire house. He says, let your good works, go and do good works. Let them be displayed so that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what you were created for living in fellowship with God and in unity with one another so that the light of God's love can be displayed in your life, taken to the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't hide it. Let it be seen. You may remember in the garden when God created Adam and Eve. He said He blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Go and fill the earth. This is before sin had entered the world and he wanted that image of God's glory to be displayed to the uttermost parts of the world. But then sin interrupted that. But the cross redeemed the mission. And he's taking us back to the original design and he's saying, Tom Cady, you go to the uttermost parts of the world and take my glory so that it can be seen in my love 
and desire to be in fellowship with all mankind and bring peace and unity among relationships with one another can be seen. That's why I created you. Live within that design. And as a church, we need to encourage each other towards those things and not hide behind the protections of either this family, our own family, or our marriages because they were created for something bigger to the glory of God, to the praise and honor of His name. That's why we're here. Now go be a light to the uttermost parts of the world, which could be across the street. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for um, allowing us an opportunity to go back to what you have revealed for us to know what is good and right and true. And so when we hear messages that are around us that, that get our attention and think, we think to ourselves, hmm, that sounds pretty good. I pray, Father, that we can keep coming back to what you have told us is good and right and true and that we would align our lives with these things. That we would believe and have faith in our heart that you are good, that your love is what created us to begin with, to live in fellowship with you and in peace and unity with one another. And if we live according to our design, then that purpose is fulfilled as your Spirit of God redeems within our heart what you ultimately created us for to begin with. Father, that's a message that's way too important to hide behind the walls of a church or a family or of a marriage. Help us to live within the context of these relationships for a purpose greater than the relationships on their own. To go and be a light to the world. To realize there's a darkness that that exists that battles are being fought and the enemy is winning some of those battles. But the power of God is stronger than the power of the enemy. Why would we hold that back? Why would we not tell the story of your hope that is within us? Father, may we live lives that declare your goodness for all the world to see. Speak of your love that brings redemption in those places where we are broken and where we need you. Thank you, Father, for showing your love to us and then calling us to show your love to others. May we do this with great diligence. We pray this in your name.